0: Welcome to part two of this investigation into the Australian Federal Government's tobacco excise, also known as the Tobacco Tax, a tax that's now forcing Aussie smokers to pay close to 50 bucks a pack. On the program last week, I spoke to Mayo Clinic certified tobacco treatment specialist Lynne Boucher about the problematic and unethical practice of heavily taxing Australia's nicotine addicts.
1: Nicotine is the most addictive drug that we know of and is very difficult to treat. Nicotine actually is not the killer. Everyone thinks that nicotine is what causes all the health issues. It's not the nicotine, it's actually the smoke. It's chemicals in the tobacco smoke. The nicotine just keeps you smoking.
0: So I guess the obvious question is why doesn't the government just ban cigarettes?
1: Because it's so addictive. People are going to smoke regardless. And that's what we're seeing with the hikes in the excise tax. I mean, at the moment, people that are severely addicted have no choice. They have to smoke to be able to function normally.
0: Are addicted smokers just being punished here?
1: Yes, in a way they are being punished. Inside Out with Nick Holt on Reading Radio 4 RPH.
0: In the last 10 years alone, Aussie smokers have paid the federal government more than $100 billion in taxes just to facilitate their addictions. The government reported that revenue from tobacco tax between 2019 and 2020 came to $16.2 billion, almost three times what it made from taxing petrol. In 2019, the National Drug Research Institute at Curtin University published an updated estimate of the social costs of tobacco use for Australia. The authors of the paper concluded that between 2015 and 2016, smokers cost the Australian government $136.9 billion. Of this figure, the tangible costs, meaning costs that can be directly related to a source of expenditure, accounted for only $19.2 billion. The intangible costs, meaning costs that can't be quantified by the government, totaled $117 billion, more than 70% of the total cost. Included in these intangibles was $92 billion for premature mortality and $22.5 billion for smoking-attributed ill health. The estimates were almost entirely based using the research of two economists, Professor David Collins and Helen Lapsley. In 2016, then Liberal Democrat Senator David Lionhelm called Collins and Lapsley voodoo economists and accused the Australian Federal Government of using their erroneous data to justify the tobacco tax.
2: We often hear the assertion, that smokers hurt non-smokers by claiming more than their fair share of government spending. This is simply not true. It's not something to be pleased about. But by dying early, smokers save the public purse. Smokers receive fewer years of age pension payments and incur lower lifetime public health costs than non-smokers. A 2008 Dutch study found that due to differences in life expectancy, lifetime health costs are highest for people with a healthy lifestyle, lower for obese people and lower still for smokers. Other studies have found similar results. Perhaps we ought to be imposing more tax on running shoes, gyms and health food. In 2013, smokers imposed net costs on Australia's healthcare system of $318.4 million. Depending on rainfall, smokers also cost the taxpayer roughly $150 million a year in bushfire control. And yet the government collects more than $9 billion in tobacco excise each year. Smokers contribute at least 17 times more than they cost the public coffers. Against that, we hear repeatedly the voodoo economics of Collins and Lapsley, who attempt to put a social cost on personal costs such as taking time off work or the grief of family members at illness and death. These are not costs borne by the government. Collins and Lapsley also take no account of the benefits of smoking. Many smokers actually enjoy smoking. These are similarly personal rather than social and a decent economist wouldn't take them seriously at all. But Collins and Lapsley can't even get their voodoo economics right. Collins and Lapsley are wrong on so many levels and yet bureaucrats who should know better use their dodgy data to pursue their nanny state agenda. In reality smokers are being used to raise revenue to spend on other things and the purpose of the high taxes is not really to discourage people from smoking, that's already occurred as much as it's likely to. It's because governments cannot control their spending. Instead, they use disapproval of smoking to justify imposing discriminatory taxes.
0: Cancer Council Australia calls itself the nation's foremost anti-cancer organisation. It's an independent, community-based charity and is not government-funded. I spoke to the CEO of Cancer Council Queensland, Chris McMillan, about some of the confusing aspects of the federal government's tobacco excise and whether or not she thought it was working. Chris, thanks for being on the program. Firstly, what evidence is there to support the narrative that the tobacco excise has led to an increase in the number of Australians quitting smoking?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, as we know, the taxes make up a substantial percentage of the price um, And because in the main, consumers are responsive to price changes, increasing the rate of the tax applicable to to any tobacco product um, allows governments to both reduce the population consumption, which is what we have seen. Um, Also for them, I guess, though, it does increase the the government revenue that falls into their pockets. But but we do know that um, data from the National Drug Strategy Household Survey has shown high levels of agreement that price was an important factor. In the cessation or the or the overall reduction um, of tobacco um, smoking, so so that's a good thing. Um, and it, realistically, the other piece of evidence that we do know is that tax increases have have really been seen one of the most effective ways of tobacco control, not just here in Australia but globally. So, um, so yeah, so you know it's a it's a necessary thing to um, to put prices up and and to have that tax to to try and get people to quit.
0: How much of that tax is being spent on actually helping people quit?
1: So, and and we, I mean, we don't have data exactly year on year, um, and it does take a while for stats to to sort of filter through. But the the latest data, which was sort of from the twenty fifteen sixteen um, period from the uh, ABS, um, shows that the tobacco taxes were around about um, nine point eight billion, which is you know a big big figure. The total cost of of smoking um, is the intangible cost of smoking, and that's attributable to your premature mortality, which is estimated um, to be approximately 92.1 billion. So, you know, realistically, um, while the intangible costs of the the ill health were estimated, um, they're sitting at about 25.6 billion. So, you know, in in reality, you know, assisting smokers to quit governments can fund development and delivery of edu- education materials, which they have done. Um, there's advisory services and courses. I mean, we've seen here in Queensland, um, which is a little bit off topic, but kind of on topic, that during the, the COVID lockdown time, there was the the nicotine replacement um Therapies that assisted with reduction as well, which I know is not the topic we're sort of on, but I think it, you know there's a substantive amount that um, governments actually do in terms of their um, you know underpinning programs like your quit lines and things through these taxes that they collect. So so in the main, um, you know that's a good thing to think that they are spending it in the area where the taxes are actually taken from.
0: So data from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare is showing that certain groups of Australians, namely poor Australians, um, are experiencing much higher rates of smoking than the rest of the population. These include Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, people suffering from mental illness, people with a substance use disorder, and even the homeless. Does the Cancer Council have a plan to reduce smoking rates in these populations, Chris?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, absolutely agree with your point. Um, you know, reducing smoking rates in those populations you've just described is extremely important and it is it is a big public issue um, across every state. Um, you know, there's sustained population-wide tobacco control strategies need to be um, continually lifted and reviewed so that we can maximise the reach and effectiveness, particularly amongst these groups. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's that combination you know, effective strategies need um, apply application of best current evidence, um, with you know while well, being open to exploring the effectiveness of new strategies. And I think, you know, it's it, in a lot of these areas, it's not just about telling and retelling. So using the old crack record, you know, method of of reinforcing things, it's about getting out into the public health areas and making sure that there's experts and community-based organisations working with targeted populations um, to really make, you know, quick, friendly environments and so on. I know when we have days like... um, uh, World um, No Tobacco Day which is a day that we as a Cancer Council do celebrate, in other words stop smoking. Um, I usually encourage people to be very supportive of people that are trying to quit smoking as well and so sometimes that are they are some of these groups that you've talked about you know people experiencing homelessness um, you know mental illness and, and substance abuse and so on and, and really support them so it's not so much pointing the finger but actually supporting them um, and and, and I think you know the other um, facet is is that obtaining better data on smoking prevalence trends amongst these uh, groups and monitoring the process is really key to actually keeping on top of reducing disparities, um, rather than you know you know looking at it as one-off things and and putting in a strategy and, and hoping that it works. So. Um, You know, sometimes we find that strategies are put in place, but they're not followed through. They don't actually put the, you know, the the, the feet on the ground to actually make the programs um, not just um, be implemented in the first instance, but also it's that follow through. And I think that's where things slip up. You know, it's all rosy when when things are working. And then when you pull out the the support and the the programs, that's when you see the, the smoking rates start to ratchet up again.
0: I contacted both the Queensland and Federal Health Departments to find out what evidence there was to support the notion that expensive cigarettes lead to an increase in Australians quitting smoking, how the revenue was being spent to help Australian smokers and whether or not they had a plan to reduce tobacco use in disadvantaged groups with disproportionately high smoking rates. Both declined to be on the program, however Queensland Health provided the following written statement. We fight really hard to help Queenslanders quit tobacco. It's a big task, but it's an important one, and it's working. In 2016, prior to the Quit HQ campaign being launched, the daily adult smoking rate in Queensland was 12%. This reduced to 11% in 2018, and the current campaign aims to decrease the adult daily smoking rate to 10% during 2020. In 2018, an estimated 424,000 Queensland adults smoke daily. Quitting smoking at any age greatly reduces the risk of disease and death. However the earlier people stop, the greater the benefit. It's a nice sentiment, but it doesn't answer my question. Is charging disadvantaged Australian smokers $50 for a packet of cheap cigarettes actually helping them quit? Or is it just one more burden that they now have to live with? In the 10 years since Kevin Rudd introduced his federal tobacco excise, the price of a packet of cigarettes has soared from $13 to $50. This means the pack-a-day smoker now pays the Australian Federal Government an extra $13,500 each year just to facilitate their addiction.
1: Inside Out with Nick Holt on Reading Radio 4 RPH.